0: How do banks make money? It's all off arbitrage. In today's episode, we're diving in to some details with Tom Lonnie, a good friend of mine, about how he's leveraging some of those same concepts in his business and helping other real estate investors be able to do the same. Some really, really big ideas here. Change your mindset. Let's dive right into it in just a second. This And before we jump into the episode today, I wanted to remind you guys to go grab your copy of the Passive Investor Playbook, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Investing. And you can find your copy at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. You can find that right here in the show notes. The Passive Investor Playbook is full of all the foundational information you're going to need to start learning. How do you go and make those smart decisions as a passive investor. How do you go about vetting sponsors? How do you go about deciding what your investment goals are? Whether you want to be active or passive. And of course, what type of investment opportunities are you looking for? We dive really deep into some great topics. We've covered a lot of these in some short podcast episodes, but you can grab the full guide full of graphs, pictures, and plenty of information right over at the slash passive. Look forward to uh, having you enjoy that and let's get right back to it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento, and I'm very excited. I've got Tom Lonnie, a good friend of mine in the studio. How are you doing today, Tom? Awesome, Stephen. Thank you for having me on your show today. I'm super excited to have you. I'm super excited to dive into everything uh, because... You're the leader in guiding real estate investors to be their own banker. And if you don't know, Tom, he comes from a pretty unique background after creating the Bulletproof Wealth Strategy. But before, he enjoyed a 30-year career in music industry as a recording engineer and producer working with acts as diverse as R.E.M., Bruce Springsteen, and Amy Grant. And what's incredible about this is that after that career, part of the big reason why he was able to go and do what he's doing now is because of some decisions he made while he was in that career, which I'm sure will come up in today's conversation. But we're going to be diving into a lot of great strategies that you can use as a real estate investor that you can use as an employee to be able to start using your money and having it start working for you. So we're going to dive into that. You ready, Tom? Absolutely, Stephen. I'm looking forward to it. Well, before we get into all the juicy stuff, let's start out by looking back at an earlier time in your life. What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Wow, that
1: is an awesome question. So I had a lot of events that shaped my childhood. I grew up in a small rural area of Nebraska, right in between the two major cities, Lincoln and Omaha. And it was just this little town of 2,200 people. And I I just knew that that wasn't where I was going to stay the rest of my life. So that was a big thing. Um, I, I was always interested in music. And of course, there was very little music going on in, in a rural farming community in, in uh, Nebraska. But it's not that I don't love that area. It's just that I just knew that was what I was probably not going to end up staying there. And so I kind of really focused on trying to figure out where where I could go and what I could do to be able to expand my horizons beyond that, um, uh, beyond that situation. So I know this, Stephen, that it, it was a process just like everything of me developing over time and realizing that I could um, pretty much do whatever I wanted. I always had that belief system that if I really focused hard enough that I had the ability to do it. And that really has been um, one of the things that has has shaped my career, um, both in music and in what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, that is, it's such a big thing. You know, coming from a small town can feel limiting, but for you, it was your opportunity to have that moment to break out, to say, hey, I want to go and do something different than what everyone else is doing around me. And I'm not going to let this location be my limitation.
1: Exactly. That's a, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. So yeah, I went to, I kind of left Nebraska at 18 and went to Tennessee and that's where I went to college. And I, I've been in Tennessee ever since then. So I've actually now in my mid fifties, I've been in Tennessee longer than I, of course, much longer than I was in Nebraska to start with, but I've really adopted Tennessee as my home and I love it here. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, amazing place. It's grown so much and so great for the music scene, obviously, and great for for real estate investing as well, as we've seen a lot of movement happening in that area. So, you know, I want to touch on this because I think it's such a good reminder about why making some of these financial decisions are so critical when you don't think you need them. Because I know you were in a very successful career. You're rocking and rolling literally with people, you know, creating amazing music. And then something happened. And because you made this simple decision, you were able to be covered. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: So I was working on a movie soundtrack. I I worked in music for just a little over 29 years and did literally hundreds, like hundreds and hundreds of records during that amount of time. And I was working on a movie soundtrack. There was an accident in the studio where I was exposed to mind-blowingly loud volume of what's called white noise which is all energy I mean all frequencies at once it just sounds like noise but it was extremely loud for an extended period of time And I lost partial hearing in one ear. And that really, you know, set me on a course of going, oh, my goodness, this uh, thing that I've been doing for so long, I really can't do it because it's sort of the way I describe it, Stephen. It's like a painter losing his color perception a little bit. In other words, if you're saying they're making your living as a painter and you don't really know if you're painting green or blue, you're in trouble, right? Because you can't, you cannot make that painting come out like what you're imagining it in your mind to be. So I had put together 20 years earlier, a it's called a disability insurance policy. And it, it really is one of the most under owned types of insurance that there is. And what it does, it protect protects your ability to earn a living. Okay. And I went ahead and did this because I was in such a, um, you know, unique position of completely relying on my hearing to earn a living for so long that I had a very wise financial advisor tell me, you know what, if you don't do this, you're really putting yourself at risk. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. Well, I kept that thing in force for 20 years, Stephen, literally thinking, oh my gosh, I've been paying, you know, I think it was like $564 a month, you know, for 20 years, which is, you know, not a huge amount of money, but it is enough to where you feel it, right? And um, it ended up literally saving my, kind of like my whole family and everything. That, That policy allowed me to go back when I couldn't do that job and learn a whole new career, which I absolutely am so excited about what I'm doing now. And um, I never would have had the opportunity to
0: do that. I just think it's one of those things where I personally don't have a policy like this. I know a lot of people don't. And it seems like one of those things where it's like, "Mm, I don't know, that seems like a waste of money. But then in this specific instance, you know, you weren't able to use the most important tool that you had in your toolbox and ended up really saving your ability to earn and allowed you to transition into a new career. So I think it's really important for us to think whenever we're doing something, when it comes to investing, the investor mindset at the core is diversification and it's by reducing risk or at least covering that risk, right? We want asymmetric risk to reward. So if we're gonna go forward and take risk in our life, no problem, let's do it, but let's make sure we're covered. And having and thinking through how you can cover that downside, this is just one great example of definitely doing that. But I know there's so much to some of the strategy. I've I've known you for years, I've seen your development and growth but most importantly, I've seen the impact of some of these strategies that you use and that you teach and that your clients use. And I'll be honest, I'm not on the train. I am not currently a policyholder. I do not utilize this strategy, but it's not because I don't believe in it. I just haven't taken action. I'm not, you know, drinking my own Kool-Aid when it came to, you know, jumping on this boat and sailing off into the sea. But a lot of people have and we've talked in the past about some of the basics of putting together, you know, insurance as a banking policy and being able to become your own banker. What I'd love to do here is in one or two sentences, just briefly explain what we're going to be talking about. But then let's immediately move into some of these high level strategies that real estate investors or everyday people can start using to start having their money work for them in a way that they probably haven't thought about or considered in the past.
1: I would love to do that. Stephen. what I would like to start with is why I work with real estate investors, okay? The way I didn't plan this exactly, this just turned out to be what was the clientele that I could help the most? Because real estate investors are very unique in that they want to have control of their money by and large. They feel like if they had access and control of their capital, they could do better with that than giving it to an investment advisor to control for them, right? Because the average person, and I'm talking about 97% of the American population roughly, would rather have somebody else be in control of their financial future for them, sort of like they're giving away control than than being in control themselves. But the real estate investor mindset is, hey, I think that I can dig in, learn the strategies and do things with my own money. So that is why I work with real estate investors. So really this whole thing, my strategy is called Bulletproof Wealth, okay? And it incorporates not just the infinite banking style policy, but it incorporates how do you really protect your risk? Okay. One element is the disability type protection that I had for, you know, that, that ended up allowing me to get a new, um, career going. And another element is being able to really save your money in a place that, If you have something really bad happen, right, that that money is still going to be growing and compounding. So it really does protect you on multiple different levels. Everybody's got to save their money somewhere, right? So where are you saving money? Um, And typically the real estate investor is saving a ton of money in a checking and savings account waiting for that awesome deal to come along. Okay, waiting for that opportunity. Oh, this I'm going to jump on this multifamily or this mobile home park or this self storage unit or this, you know, specialized note or this um, this opportunity to invest in something, a syndication or whatever. But they're not just readily available. Great deals just are not there all the time. Would you agree with that, Stephen?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's great deals that come across the desk, but they're not always there. And the capital sitting in the bank, I've got to have that liquidity. I've got to be able to make sure I've got capital that I can put down to be able to lock these opportunities up. I mean, it's the truth.
1: So from a high-level perspective, Stephen, what I'm doing with my strategy is giving people an optional place that, in my opinion, has more advantages than any other place to store money while waiting for an opportunity to come along, but it's not tying up your liquidity so you can still have access to that money when that deal comes along. Now, this is the thing that is going to kind of blow people's minds a little bit, is that when you put that money money into a real estate investment, you are not giving up the compounding growth of the money because it's a collateralized loan that you're making against the equity in your life insurance policy. So it's not that you're draining it, it's that you're borrowing against it. So you're putting yourself in the position of a bank.
0: This is where people often get lost when they get into this conversation because they just think, OK, these are a lot of words that I'm not following along with. But really what you're saying is they have a policy and that policy has a, a net value based on the amount of money that they've put into that policy. And they're essentially taking a loan against the policy because the policy is now an asset the same way a house is an asset, same way you'd go get a, a home equity line of credit on a house. You're getting that same kind of line of credit on your policy, and then you can go and do whatever you need with it. And you've always got that as an asset that you're going to be holding on to.
1: That's a great way to put it. In fact, the whole home equity line of credit thing is so closely tied to what I do that I use that as an example a lot, because really this whole thing is you're collateralizing the equity in your life insurance policy. And you have to ask yourself, why is that better than equity in a home equity line of credit, right? It's better because a home equity line of credit never expands in its line limit, right? If you have a $500,000 house, that you owe three hundred thousand dollars on, you have two hundred thousand of equity. If you get a home equity line of credit under that scenario, it's going to be a fixed amount, and it's never going to go up and up and up every year unless you get a new appraisal and you reapply for another line increase. And it's a big pain to get it to go up. But with this, with my strategy, the line of credit goes up every year. As you put in new money, the line of credit goes up. And typically, starting the fourth year, so the fourth year in, your amount of money you put in the line of credit goes up by greater than the amount you put in. So if you put in $50,000, for example, year four, your line of credit would probably go up by 54,000. Then the next year you put in another 50, that's your max you can put in and your line of credit might go up by 64,000. You have a compounding effect inside of this place to store capital that as you put more money in over time, the line of credit keeps going up by a greater amount than you're putting in. Does that make sense.
0: Yeah, totally totally absolutely makes sense.
1: That's cool, Stephen. So, this is just a place that can protect your really your legacy and your family and everything because you're actually purchasing what's called whole life insurance from a mutually owned company. So that's the asset that you're purchasing. Never going to go away, just like you would be purchasing a house. And the cash value is the equity inside of that policy. And that cash value can be borrowed against, not from, but against. And you can really have your money working for you in two places at
0: once. That's what makes this thing wild. So once you've got this set up, And you've got this asset, you're starting to place capital into it, things are going well, you've got this in place, what can you do with it? How does that work?
1: So there's zero limitations on this, Stephen, because it's not qualified money. So you can put it into any investment that you want. And you could even take a trip around the world with that money if that's what you wanted to do, (laughs) because there's no limitations on what you can do once you have this buildup of cash. Now, obviously, 90 something percent of everybody I work with is using it for real estate investing because the secret to this whole banking concept is you've got to find an investment opportunity that is earning a greater rate of return than you put then you have to pay for the use of the insurance company's money. I will say this. One of the things that gets people the most jarred, jammed up on this, where they're just confused, is that they think they're borrowing their own money and they think they're paying themselves back. That could not be further from the truth. You're borrowing the insurance company's money. Your money is growing inside the policy and you're paying the insurance company back, okay? The insurance company, however, is mutually owned, And because they're mutually owned, that interest that you're paying them, it goes into their profit and they return a portion of that profit after company expenses and what's called mortality charges back to the policy owner each year in the form of a dividend. So you're getting not a dollar for dollar amount back that you put in in interest, but it is contributing to a company that you're a part owner of. And
0: that's why it works. That's why you get this compounding inside of there. So that all totally makes sense. And I, I love the ability that you have to really be able to explain this on such a deep level. What I'm really interested in is let's get down to brass tacks. I'm, sure. I'm an investor. I've got the ability to do some strategies that nobody else is doing. Let's talk about some of those strategies and how we're able to actually leverage this money. And let's tell a couple stories about people who've been able to do that.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, Steven, that's, that's awesome. So literally I have clients doing every possible financial strategy under the sun. Um, I, I will just tell you one that I personally did recently because I eat my own cooking, right. And I do all the stuff that I teach other people to do. I think it's so important that you work with somebody who really does what it is they're teaching because then they understand it at a different level right? Because they've come up against their own challenges and had to overcome things. So for example, recently I did some private lending, right? Where I had a uh, um, guy who is doing fix and flips come to me and say, Hey, I've got a really, really nice uh, house and a great location near me, but it needs a lot of work. And I mean, Stephen, the house right across the street was like 1.3 million. It was it was bordered by these really nice houses, and there was an opportunity where he just needed 125 thousand dollars to put into this to fix it up so that he could resell it. So, anyways. I negotiated a, um, a, a note where it was three points to close and one point per month for 12 months. So what does that average out to? That's 15 points um, that I get by putting my money into this deal. And I know this person personally, so it wasn't a big risk at all. And the ARV was through the roof compared to what he was putting into it. That, you know, obviously after repair value, but um, anyway... What the deal was is that I have to spend $6,250 to make this deal work over one year, because what is that? That's the interest that I'm paying the insurance company. My return on that $6,250 is $18,750 in interest. Okay. So, that, Stephen, spending $6,250 in interest to earn $18,750 in interest is putting myself in the position of being a bank. Okay. That's all I'm doing is what is arbitrage, right? Taking 5% money and turning it into 15% money. What is the rate of return on that? That's 200%. I'm not doubling my money once. That would be 100%. I'm doubling it and doubling it again. So the rate of return is 200%. Now, had I taken $125,000 from my own personal bank account and given it to that guy, my rate of return would have been 15%. That's it. That's exactly what I would have got. So what I did by employing my own strategy was taking a 15% rate of return and literally turning it into a 200% rate of return. And now the thing that you as a kicker, I also get a dividend on that entire amount that is in my that is in my uh, whole life policy as well. So and I don't calculate that into the return. So this needs to stand on its own without calculating the dividend in.
0: Yeah. So that's so big. It makes 100% sense because essentially what you've done is you've borrowed money from this asset from your bank that you set up, and then you're lending that money out to somebody else at a higher rate of return, and you're making the spread. And as a result of that spread, that's the return that you're seeing. And you can calculate that up. And because you're essentially using leverage, but the leverage is pretty secure because it's your money from your policy, you're in a position where you're able to make very high returns. To put a perfect example of exactly this is exactly what we do anytime we buy real estate with leverage from the bank, except you're stepping into that spot of being the banker.
1: That's exactly it. Now, I have clients that I think the highest returns that I've ever seen in my entire client base are people that are using this for transactional funding. So transactional funding, Stephen, and I know you know all about this, but I'll just give you everybody a high level overview It's just where somebody needs to borrow money to double close for a short period of time. Like we're talking six hours. Okay. That's the only amount of time your money has to be out for. So, and you usually get one to one and a half points on a transactional funding deal, which means if somebody needs, for example, $500,000, Right imagine getting $5,000 for six hours. Now, how much did that cost you an interest to give somebody $500,000 for six hours? Literally, it's incalculably small amount, because you're just paying the rate of 5% annualized for one day. Okay. So it's like, chump change, you know, probably less than a hundred dollars of interest, but you're making this huge return. So if you are in a position of being able to do transactional funding, which some of my higher end real estate clients do that quite frequently, um, you can absolutely explode your returns. I mean, it just is ridiculous what you can get. In fact, it's so stupid, Stephen, that I don't even, you know, I don't even calculate it. It's in the 17,000% range.
0: What I think is cool about this is that it's just, it's important to know about the strategies that are available, right? Because if you're somebody who is looking to invest and you want to start understanding, Hey, how can you compound the returns that you're receiving even more and do so more quickly, then this could be a strategy that is worth taking a closer look at. Because it's the same thing that we're doing when we go and purchase a 200 unit multifamily apartment building. We might be buying at a five cap, a 5% cap rate, which is essentially a simple way of thinking about it is that we would receive, if we paid 100% cash, we'd receive a a 5% return roughly. It's not a perfect example, but but if we're borrowing at 3% and we're making a 5%, then we're actually making that 2% spread. But because we borrowed the money and we only put in 30% of the money, then our rate of return is dramatically higher as a result. And so when people talk about, well, cap rates are being compressed, well, so are interest rates. And so everything is relative. And then if you imagined putting in that money that was borrowed from this asset that you've set up, this policy that we're talking about, your rate of return would be compounded even further. And so this is why it's important to understand about some of these strategies that are out there. Now, Tom, a lot of people talk poorly about this strategy who don't really understand it. What are some of the naysayers saying and, and what would be the response that you'd have to, you know, people like Dave Ramsey or others who aren't really thinking about this strategy in the same way?
1: Yeah. Okay. well, that's a fair question. So in general. Dave Ramsey and a lot of the naysayers don't understand exactly how these things can be structured. They're typically thinking of policies where you put in the least amount of capital for the most amount of life insurance, okay? And those policies don't perform well, well on a cash accumulation basis. They just don't. This is where I'm reverse engineering a policy to put in as much money as possible for the least amount of life insurance. And therefore you're able to take advantages you're able to take advantage of all of the tax advantages of these policies, which are just unbelievably good. All the growth inside the policy is tax advantage. You're able to take advantage of the creditor and predator protection, which it varies on a state by state basis, but it's just amazing protection from bankruptcy and creditors coming after your asset of the cash value in your life insurance policy. So I will tell you this, the people who naysay say it, really have a vested interest in driving people towards traditional asset under management models. So they will say, buy term insurance and invest the difference, okay? Well, just that statement alone is ridiculous because nobody ever figures out what the difference is. So they don't have any idea what that even means. They don't go out and really price these things and figure out what is the difference between term and whole life. And so that is kind of a wash up and the second thing they don't understand is what you can do with the money again this is not an A combination of a life insurance policy and an investment. This is a combination of a life insurance policy and a savings account where the money is super, super safe and you're able to utilize it for whatever you want. So it's just understanding what this is and the naysayers just don't understand the nature of what we're trying to accomplish. And people that do get it, I mean, I'm telling you, Steven, they try to figure out how can I run as much of my income through this as possible, because it's not like you're giving up your liquidity, you're just saving it somewhere else.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting concept, right? Because this is what the investor mindset's all about. It's about understanding how different people think and how we can apply those same thoughts and beliefs in our own life. This is a great example. If it's something that's not making sense right now, totally no problem. Maybe it'll take 10 or 15 more times. It's a complex subject to understand this idea of arbitrage and how we can use tools that are going to allow us to be able to do that more effectively. And so this is just one example of what folks are doing to be able to go out and how can they store money in a tax advantaged creditor protected type asset like this policy to then go and be able to leverage it to make investments into multifamily syndications, to make investments into flips or loans or some of these other examples that we're talking about. And in each one of these examples, we're able to leverage up the return profile that we're actually seeing. And so that's the big takeaway. If you're going to be investing using one of these strategies, the benefit, the upside of doing so is that you're going to essentially be able to increase the rate of return that you're receiving because that money is both earning while it's in the account, while it's earning, you know, in the investment that you're seeing it in.
1: Totally, Stephen. That's a great, great way to put it. I, I will just say to put the cookies on the bottom shelf and really simplify this, you can use this money as down payments. On things meaning that normally when you go buy an investment property you have to have the collateral for the down payment yeah I mean you have to put up the cash for the down payment right you can't borrow a hundred percent normally to buy a property you have to put down 10 15 20 percent whatever that is well this is a great place to get that down payment from, right? So now you're using more of other people's money because you're now not taking cash out of your bank account for that down payment. Does that make sense? It's just a little bit different way to think about it.
0: it. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Well, this has been really great. We've made it to one of my favorite parts of the show, the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but your answers don't need to be. So Tom, how do you define success and what is success to you? That's awesome.
1: That's a great question. So I define success as both having the freedom to do what I want to do and doing what I love to do. And, you know, I could have just said, you know what, I'm not going to go back to work ever. I'm just going to rest on my laurels. I've had a great career. I could have just let it go with that Stephen, and retired and been done with it. But I wanted to go back and do something else because I love helping people. So success for me is being able to work in a way that I'm having an impact and being able to help other people achieve goals. And um, really that's what I was doing in the music industry, to be honest with you. I was helping artists achieve their dreams. That's what I was doing. And, And I was the middleman and that's what I'm doing now. It's really like a guide. I'm trying to help guide people to being able to really understand these somewhat complex concepts, but once they click, and you start using them, the, the complexity just goes way down. And I know it's like that with anything.
0: So inspiration, what impact have mentors made on your life? And how do you look at going out and finding great mentors?
1: Um, mentors are huge. I can't tell you how important it is to have somebody in your life that has done what you're wanting to do and being able to learn from them. For me, I've been involved in a lot of different mastermind groups where I didn't really understand it, but you kind of just need to put your um, kind of put your resources behind learning from somebody who's been there and done that because what one person can do, Stephen, another person can do really it's I know that sounds like oversimplification, but if somebody else can do it, you can do it. You just have to learn how no better way to learn than from somebody who's already doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Such a big, big reminder. So this has been, super great, Tom. It's been great diving in with you. Tell us, where can people find out more about you, learn about some of these strategies or get in touch?
1: Awesome. Well, I have a website and it's called stressfreeplanning.com. Stressfreeplanning.com, and the deal is, is that I do a lot of free um, educational videos. Where when I go and speak to real estate investors or different groups, I usually record those events, and I have a lot of education there that is available to anybody that just goes to my website, put your name and email address in, and you get access to all of that for free. And I don't bug you. Okay, so if you watch a few of these videos, and you're not into it, you're not going to hear from me, right? But if you watch a few of these videos, and you're like, Oh, my gosh, this is really intriguing. I want to learn more, then there's a, an ability on that um, kind of insider video page to be able to book a time to talk with me. And I can show you what you can do personally with this strategy.
0: Perfect. Well, that sounds good. We'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. And thank you so much, Tom. I always appreciate talking with you. you have been a great friend and I, I look forward to the next time we get to hang out.
1: Thanks, Steve. And me too. Definitely. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing
0: you soon. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend.